Eons past, a monstrous hybrid of land and marine reptiles was sealed into a state of suspended animation, slumbering through the fall of dinosaurs and the rise of man. But awakened by an undersea nuclear test, the creature returned to life, now breathing the fires of radiation. Stan Lee presents Godzilla, King of the Monsters! The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 72, The Mega Monsters from Beyond, Part 1, The Beta Beast, Godzilla, issue number 12, cover date July 1978. time travelers here we are once again we have come back from 1978 and in our grubby little hands we hold comic books in this case is that godzilla king of the monsters issue number 12 and i am very excited to begin talking about it i'm ben ben avery comic book collector comic book time traveler comic book writer you know all that stuff uh let's let's stop talking about me and let's start talking about the big G. So I just got done reading Godzilla issue number 12, and I'm I'm reading it while listening to Michael. I'm going to say this wrong. Michael Giacinos. I think that's how you say it, but it's his Cloverfield soundtrack. And you might be saying, well, Cloverfield soundtrack wasn't Cloverfield, the found footage giant monster movie. Yes, it was a kaiju movie done in the style of found footage, you know, where they have the people running around with the cameras, and as they're running around with the cameras, that's who is making our movie. And I'm not a big fan of found footage movies. Every once in a while, there's a good one, but they all rely on a lot of the same gimmicks, you know, jump scares and things, you know, in the dark, just outside of the, the field of vision. I'm not a big fan of it. Also, there's usually not much of a score. There might be a a soundtrack, but usually it's it's ambient music. It's music that is right there in the place where you are. And so it tends to be, uh, you know, maybe going to a concert or something playing on the jukebox or, you know, a, a band down the street. But you aren't going to get a lot of orchestral music. And Cloverfield does not have any orchestral music within the story. But when you get to those end credits... A 12-minute end credits. There is a wonderful, wonderful symphonic homage to to the the bombastic uh, Godzilla and and other kaiju soundtracks. Uh, but the the Godzilla Akira Fukube. I'm saying that wrong, but I'm say it with confidence, Daniel. I'm saying it with confidence. Akira Fukube. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying it with confidence, and my confidence drains right away after I say it. But anyway, it's a wonderful homage to those old school Godzilla movies, and and it's amazing. Now it's 12 minutes long. When I bought it on iTunes, it was only 99 cents, though. And I was I was so 
uh, tickled. I don't like saying that. That sounds like uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm three. I was so tickled to find it. No, I'm not three. That's not that's not me as a three year old saying that. That's me as like a 1930s teenage girl saying that. I was so tickled to find this, but I was. I was so excited to find it on iTunes, and I love Michael Giacchino. I don't love him enough to really know how to say his name, but but all of the soundtracks that he uh, has written that I have actually listened to, I've really, really enjoyed. And this was no exception. And it's just about the length of time that it takes to read through a Godzilla comic book. I can't believe I didn't think to do this until now. Now, there's another special thing, not just the soundtrack to reading this issue, but I got to read it in full color. And in floppy comic book form, I'm not reading it out of my black and white essentials edition, which is my usual quote unquote time machine to go back in time and read this. But this was given to me by my buddy, Steve McDonald. He's my buddy. I mentioned this before, but he's a friend of mine. We go back a long, long way and we've been podcasting together over at strangers and aliens, strangers aliens.com about science fiction and and faith and spirituality and sci-fi and fantasy and all that stuff. And he heard one of my episodes where I was talking about, actually he heard the episode where I was talking about issue number three. And I was talking about, I'd love to see this in color. And then one day an envelope shows up on my doorstep. And what's in that envelope? Well, Godzilla King of the Monsters, issue number three and issue number 12. And that issue number three, it just has the glorious, glorious full page splash of Hercules flipping Godzilla head over heels uh, by lifting him by the foot and throwing him. And part of me wants to take that issue number three and cut it up and turn it into some sort of framed artwork. And honestly, uh, I'm kind of giving away some things here, but there's some panels and pages here in this issue that I would love to do the same kind of thing. Some sort of wall art that would showcase the artwork from from Herb Trimpey. So actually, that's a, as good a segue as any to who are the people who are behind this comic book, this issue number 12 of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. There's Doug Mensch, the writer. There's Herb Trimpey, the artist. There's Fred Keita, the inker. There's B. Patterson, the letterer. There's Mary Titus, the colorist. And of course, Jim Shooter, the editor. And this story... I'm just going to say right now, reading it, I felt like I was transported into a kaiju movie. Now, we are continuing the serialized adventure of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, as he is marching through the United States. He just got done with a huge fight in the Grand Canyon with basically Bigfoot, who has grown to be really Bigfoot, and Red Ronin, a three-way fight in the Grand Canyon. But um, now, we're continuing on with that, but... As serialized as it is, this feels like once you get past – you can't get past it. I was going to say once you get past all of the the preamble and the setup, but you can't. You can't get past that. That's all a part of this. So you know all the ties to this great big long story, this 12-issue story that we've had so far, but this feels like we are stepping into a movie. This feels like we are stepping into a – well, a movie of the 60s or 70s featuring Godzilla or or Gamera or any number of those kaiju monsters easily could be a part of this story. 
the opening captions I want to read because it kind of gets into the themes of what's going on here. Uh, the Mega Monsters from Beyond Part 1 is what this is. This is the Beta Beast. Uh, I don't know what that means when you're reading this, but you'll find out actually when you get through it. But these opening captions say, question, what is the difference between a freight train and a monstrous, a monstrous serpent as seen through the eyes of a creature such as Godzilla? Answer, none. And it shows Godzilla, he's trampling a giant railroad bridge, and there's a train falling right toward us on this opening splash page. Now, the opening splash page, we are down low. We are looking up, up, up. And the the foreshortening that you get of Godzilla's leg that is closest to us, it's pretty, pretty big. Uh, but then it shrinks as as he's so tall that when you finally see his head, it's, it's really small up there. Uh, then the captions go on to say, and so the, the radioactive Leviathan again reverts to destruction. After all, an enemy quote unquote, has attacked and must be destroyed. It is a simple code of behavior. And yet before this day is done, the fate of two worlds will depend on it. And this sets up our theme, this animalistic code of behavior. What is the animalistic code of behavior? It's survival. It's survival. Maybe survival of the fittest, you know, is, is the theme here for our animalistic protagonist. But it is definitely talking about Godzilla's will to survive. That's what keeps him moving forward. That's what keeps him fighting is this survival instinct. Meanwhile, Dum Dum Dugan and Gabe Jones have just dropped off last issue's survivors. And they're putting in a, a call in for somebody else to come and get them and, and really help them. But uh, they they drop off the survivors and then Dum Dum Dugan gives... <laughs> He really hangs a lampshade on pretty much his behavior. All of his behavior comes down to this. Uh, he, they're arguing again. Dum Dum is, uh, you know, muttering about the blasted punk and the stolen robot. So Gabe says to him, and again, reading from the dialogue here, if you're muttering about Little Rob and Red Ronan, don't forget he was the one who got rid of that giant Bigfoot. And Dum Dum says, yeah, and almost got himself pulped in the bargain. Look, Gabe, <laughs> Dum Dum says, uh, you think I like belly aching all the time? Putting on the crusty act is the only way I get to, uh, the only way I know how to get through. Besides, it saves a lot of time and grief. And then Gabe says, you mean dot, 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 question mark. And then back to Dum Dum, of course. And I figured you'd know it by now. My act may be convincing. But I ain't really afraid, afraid of that kid upstaging me. And in fact, I kind of like him. He's got spunk. And that makes me all the more afraid of what might happen to him next. So, Dum Dum Dugan, he's admitting to the act. He knows that, that it's an act. And he is going ahead and just be upfront about it with Gabe. Uh, but, you know, he still he feels these things. But, you know, he's he's acting like the, the crusty old belly aker, Basically, be, to cope. It's his coping mechanism. He doesn't like doing it, but he has no other way of getting through all these problems. And the problem they're facing now is what is little Rob going to do? Well, Rob is feeling guilty. Uh, he's feeling guilty for having killed Yetrigar. But if he hadn't done it, Yetrigar would have killed Godzilla. 
And he says, again, reading from the dialogue, there's no use in making excuses. Killing Yatragar was just as bad as the Americans wanting to kill Godzilla. I'm guilty and I'll never be able to get away from myself by using you, Red Ronin. But I'm going to try. Just keep flying and maybe never stop. Poor kid. Poor, poor kid. But interesting kid now. He... You know, that whole idea, you know, I'm no better than the people that I was judging. I was judging the Americans as being bad for wanting to kill Godzilla. And then I turn around and do the exact same thing. They're trying to protect people and they want to kill Godzilla to do so. I wanted to protect Godzilla and had to kill Retrogar to do so. You know, this is a nice bit of character development for the little quote unquote Kenny character. The annoying Kenny characters in especially Gamera, but they're in Godzilla, some Godzilla movies too. They tend to be one-dimensional. There's a couple examples where where they aren't one-dimensional or where there is actual character development. There's the, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie with uh, with Godzilla. Um, uh, All Monsters Attack, that's what it was. That Godzilla movie. The kid actually had some character development. Now, <laughs> the character development in question there is that he learns to fight against bullies and then literally becomes a bully who bullies someone who's not even bothering him at the end. So the character development there, you know, there's some questionable ideas going on, but this is some pretty, I don't know if sophisticated is quite the right word. I think I've used that before here talking about this, maybe the last time, but sophisticated, maybe not, but for a pulp comic book, with not a lot of time to to devote to character development like this, uh, the, the truth is it's it's more than I was expecting. And I don't remember. I mean, I've read through all the Godzilla comics before of all the things that I'm going to be covering or that rather that I am covering right now. Um, Godzilla King of the Monsters, I've read the entire run of 24 issues, but it's been such a long time. I didn't remember any of this stuff. And so. You know, like I said, though, usually, I mean, we got a two-dimensional Kenny character here, and usually a Kenny character in a in a kaiju movie tends to be one-dimensional, or maybe not even that much, uh, half-dimensional. Is that such a thing? Um, if there is, I'm, I'm sure that there's some sort of B-movie about it. The, the man who was from half a dimension is able to slip through cracks in the walls because he's only half a dimension instead of three dimensions. I just wrote a pretty stupid sci-fi movie in my head just now. That's kind of fun. Anyway, um, while all this is going, there are unseen aliens who are watching the video replay of Godzilla's fight from last issue. And they decide that they are going to take the, the most powerful beast from the earth for some sort of test of some sort. You know, we don't know exactly what's going on here. All we know is that Godzilla gets pulled across the cosmos through a, a black hole of dark matter Jack Kirby crackle? Sure. And when he gets pulled through space, he is getting pulled through Kirby space. Uh, it is not our space. It's the kind of space I talked about before where there's just so many bodies of, you know, celestial bodies there of, of rock and light and, 
And he gets pulled to this barren moon type of thing. And he has a sheath of oxygen all around him so that he can breathe. And, you know, he's standing there alone. And as you turn the page, you get a splash page of another beast, the, the beta beast. And it's, it's awesome. I, I don't know how to, how, how else to describe it as far as comic book art goes. Uh, it's one of the best splash pages from this whole series. Godzilla, he's a little off model from the usual uh, razor bladed, toothy, uh, you know, lizard face. A little bit closer to more of a traditional Godzilla. Uh, but and then the creature is just this bug eyed monster with a weird tongue, and it has these weird antenna and tentacles with stingers that can shoot out and uh it's got some sort of weird kind of beetle like shell and and then we get a big fight a big big fight and godzilla fights hard i almost want to read all the captions but i'm not going to there is a lot of captions going on here the art does not carry the story as far as well as much as doug mensch would like it to i guess so he's you know, the, the journey cannot be called the journey, but whatever it is called, it is impossible. Do eternities pass in an instant or does a single instant occupy all of forever? One way or the other, there is movement. Then when a sphere of twinkling crystal clarity looms before him, a familiar sight to human astronomers, but to Godzilla, it is merely a cold, dead place. He cannot avoid a barren, airless place. And yet somehow he can breathe and hear the sound issues from the blackening of a huge crater grows louder as if nearing the very lip of the crater. Then the ghastly author of the sound slithers forth, emerging fully from the crater's fathomless depths. It is the beta beast, a loathsome monstrosity spawned far beyond the visible stars. But to Godzilla, who cares nothing about its name or origin, it is simply another enemy. And so they fight. And Godzilla, again, this is where he displays that instinct for survival. And there's some great, you know, fighting illustrations going on here. Uh, there is, you know, the weird monster, the barren planet, the just there's a lot of energy and emotion. The primary emotion being rage. And that's where we come to our final you know, showdown here. And the beta beast presses his attack with a blast of real fire and Godzilla knows he will die on this barren plane unless he retaliates in kind. He must draw upon an inner strength, the hidden resources. He must summon courage. He must succumb to rage. Courage and rage, the keys to life. In other words, he must try harder. <laughs> That's what's happening here. And in the end, even courage is no longer necessary. Necessary, Mere rage will do. Godzilla triumphant. And then the aliens show themselves. And so as he wins the battle, he wins the battle because of his, his survival instinct. Uh, again, those keys to life, those things that we were talking about at the beginning of, of the issue as well. Now the aliens show themselves as he comes... Uh, he tries to attack them as they rise up from the, the barren uh, landscape in, in some sort of weird domed building. And then they, they shout, freeze him with the id ray. 
and then they're going to use that to explain their actions. They know he they won't he won't understand the details, but they hope he understands enough to act. And what is their backstory? You know, if if space is one theme of what we're seeing in these last two issues of of comics for this month, July nineteen seventy eight, the other issue or the other theme seems to be backstory. It's war. Their backstory is war. There's been a war of attrition between two alien races ending in the ultimate of escalation, giant war beasts. And they've laid waste to a dozen worlds in their battle. And now the bad guy aliens, uh, for lack of a better term, they're called Megans, have destroyed all but one of the betas, which are the good guy aliens, war beasts. And so now uh, the one surviving beta beast Godzilla has just slain that and that has shown that Godzilla might be powerful enough to stop the three most powerful Megan war beasts that are on their way to earth. And those beasts are Triax, Rian and Kroller. And they are sufficiently alien. They do not look like man in suit Kaiju, uh, similar to the, the beta beast that, that Godzilla just destroyed. And they're not just on their way. They're on their way, targeting the most powerful beings on earth. Uh, but the betas have brought Godzilla off Earth, so he is no longer there to be targeted. So guess who they've targeted? Is it the Hulk? No. Is it Thor? No. Is it Sentry? Well, Sentry wasn't created until, you know, just a few years ago. But he was supposedly around at this point in time. It's just the whole world has forgotten him completely. But no, it, they're not targeting any of these powerful characters. They're targeting Red Ronin. And so Red Ronin is confronted with Triax, and then Godzilla is transported from that barren landscape to that point where Rob is trying to get Red Ronin up and running as this alien beast is coming toward him. So anyway, here's what we have, uh, our cliffhanger. <laughs> and we'll find out next issue if, if Godzilla is going to help Red Ronin or not. So here we are. We have Godzilla in this story. He's the living embodiment of rage and power and and survival uh, of he's an embodiment of instinct. He's an embodiment of uh, reaction. He reacts with rage. He reacts with his decision making processes solely focused on surviving. And Doug Mensch, in this issue especially, has done a really fantastic job of creating an animalistic protagonist, I guess. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of uh, character development for Godzilla. You don't expect that. You don't want that in this. Godzilla needs to be an animal, especially in the context of of the story that Doug Mensch is trying to to tell here. And... You know, he he's an angry, powerful monster that's trying to survive instead of an angry, powerful do-gooder. <laughs> uh, my spell check uh, autocorrected do-gooder to do-goober. Anyway, he's an angry, powerful do-gooder that knocks down buildings accidentally and incidentally as he battles powerful evil monsters. And Mensch has a great handle on what he wants to do with the character, but he also has a great handle on what a kaiju movie should look like. And this, like I said before, this feels like a kaiju movie. You've got aliens. You've got aliens kidnapping Godzilla to fight another monster. You've got uh, 
other monsters, which is nice to see as well. And there's not a lot of superhero elements here. Although, you know, the idea of the Marvel Universe, Red Ronin, really, that's the most powerful thing that you're going to target. I mean, obviously, there's two other powerful things. It's a, this triad of, of monsters that are being sent. And it looks like only Triax is there with Red Ronin. But that's it. Red Ronin, he's the most powerful, of one of the three most powerful things on the planet at the time. Uh yeah, it stretches things a little bit, but you know, it's fiction and this is the story that needs to be told. We want to tell a story about Red Ronin. This is not the Hulk's story, I guess. So Mensch knows what he wants to do with the character. He makes this feel like a kaiju movie. The question is, does the monsters stories theme match up with the humans thematic ideas in their story? Because that's what I like to see. I like to see a monster story happening that reflects the human story. And so you're seeing not a perfect metaphor necessarily, but at least a reflection. And I think there is here. Now, Godzilla's thematic movement in his story is survival. Really, survival of the fittest. So what do you have with humans? Well, you have Dum Dum and Gabe helping other people survive. You have Rob regretting that he killed somebody he was helping godzilla survive but he regrets that the that yetragar did not survive you have aliens plotting to use a ruthless force of nature against other ruthless forces of nature to survive and they're also trying to help you know two worlds survive theirs and ours and so, you, you know, there's the idea of survival of the fittest with Godzilla. And, and I'm not sure where this is going, and I'm not sure if this is intentional. But, you know, survival is one of the basest of instincts. And the difference here, I think, is the difference between animalistic survival and humanistic survival. Uh, it's not just that you survive. Surviving that desire to preserve life is not a wrong thing. But the difference between humans and animals in some ways might be how you survive. Again, not the what, but the how. And, you know, an animal has little to no choice in the matter. Humans do. Humans actually can practice self-sacrifice for other people to survive. Animals, I guess, will do so in some ways as well. But they aren't choosing it. Humans have that choice. Uh, ultimately, humans of our real world that end up making choices that are more animal than human as they act or react. Uh, you know, humans can act where animals react. And humans, when the, what they're doing, unfortunately, a lot of times what you're seeing is humans reacting in fear and anger and acting more like animals in that regard. Not that they're being beastly, just that they're not thinking through and they're not acting out in the best with their best nature you know to humans have understanding of consequences also that are beyond the moment they have imagination they're able to think through and come up with you know peaceful resolutions to conflicts you know in the short term and they're also able to think about uh, eternal implications that come from the spiritual realm they're able to conceive with imagination what can result from a decision they understand consequences beyond the moment and they can tap into that understanding to make 
good things happen. That's when good things happen is when they tap into that understanding. They can also use that for evil, obviously. Um, but they're able to conceive with their imagination what comes from a decision and they're able to overcome fear and rage and overcome it with courage and, and love, which are two of the most important values that human life, uh, particularly as I see it through the lens of my my Christian beliefs and ideals, uh, they're, they're some of the best values that we can strive to attain. And I'm getting on a soapbox and maybe I should, I should get off it, but Godzilla issue number 12, (laughs) giving me time to think about, you know, what separates us from the animals. And and that's actually not a bad thing to think about. There is something that separates us from the animals. We're not just animals. Uh, Again, coming from my Christian beliefs, I believe that we have been set, uh, you know, created in the image of God and that we have been set apart from the animals. We share things with the animals. We have hearts that pump blood. We have, we do have instincts that cause us to, you know, jump back when there's, you know, you touch a burning stove. I, I don't know why the stove is burning, but you know, the hot stove, you know, you pull your hand back anyway. Um, I'm on a soapbox and maybe I should get off of it. But uh, with Godzilla here, I had a lot of fun reading it and I, I actually got to do a little bit of, uh, um, you know, armchair philosophy. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's not a bad thing. So uh, from here, I'm not sure where this is going to go. I'm assuming there's going to be four more parts, but I do not remember if this really does take us from issue 12, 13, 14, 15 into 16 with him fighting all three of the monsters in different places on the earth. Is this going to be some sort of, uh, you know, G.I. Joe, the weather machine gets split up. And so they have to go and do adventures in three different places to fill out a five, a five day, uh, five part uh, story. I don't know. We'll see. But I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this issue. And so, again, we've got two really, really good, enjoyable pulp science fiction comic book stories. And next, I think we're going to turn and I guess we're going to go look at Human Fly. So uh, I can tell you this right now. I don't I'm not going to give away too much, but. My reaction to this issue of Human Fly was very different than my reaction to some other issues. Anyway, I'm going to close things off here, and I want to thank you for listening. And as usual, I just want to say no matter where you're going or where you've been, thanks for listening. Godspeed as you go where you're going. That was really a a poor, poor sign-off. I'll do better next time. And hey, uh, listen to the promo at the end after the credits it's another podcast you might like if you like listening to stuff about godzilla and i play promos not because i'm doing a promo trade i don't even tell people i'm playing their promos because it's legit i listen to the podcasts that i promote and so this is one uh for earth destruction directive which i really really like that podcast it's a it's a fun podcast and if you like godzilla then you're gonna like it too so that's a better sign off Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time.
Next episode, a true-to-life account of the near tragedy at Montreal. Legends die hard in The Human Fly, issue number 11. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Mm-hmm.